Hey everyone, welcome back to You're Only Human, a podcast designed for perfectly imperfect people, a place where we can have discussions on anything and everything. With each episode, I will bring you what's been on my mind and we can talk about it. It could be anything from spirituality to the latest TV show I binged to a random shower thought to mental health. Here, it's all about the ups and downs of life on earth and remembering that you're only human. Recording from the kitchen table, I'm your host, Brenna Stone, and let's get started on today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I hope that your day is going well and you're feeling good, and if not, I hope something today brings you joy, even if it's small, because it still counts. So today's topic is going to be substances and sobriety. I have been wanting to explore this for quite some time. I think it's very interesting. Like for me personally, I think it's very interesting. I also think it's a very relevant topic pretty much all of the time. Um, It's stigmatized. It's nuanced. It's very individualized. Like each person struggles with it differently or there's even people, you know, that have never engaged in a substance in their life. And on either end, there seems to be stigma, whether you've done every single substance under the sun or you haven't touched anything at all. There's always some kind of stigma around it. So we're going to be diving into that. And it's also to clarify that this is not going to be advice regarding any kind of addiction. It's not my place to give advice for that. Um, This is just going to be personal experiences within my own life and interactions with people in my life in regards to these substances. Um, So we're going to be talking about alcohol, nicotine, and THC mostly. I... Personally, do not have any experience with harder substances or any kind of psychedelics. Um, I do think psychedelics are very interesting, specifically the ones that grow from the ground. I think that's very interesting what it can do to your brain and what kind of experience people can have on those, but um, I don't have any experience with them. Uh, So let's start with good old alcohol. It is something that has been in my life, my entire life, really, because growing up, I had several family members that drank. Um, Some of them were just casual drinkers. Some of them definitely had an addiction and were considered alcoholic. And because of that, because of those people that did struggle with um, alcoholism, I think from a early age without even realizing it, and I didn't realize it until I got older and I could drink it myself when I um, came of age to do so, like legally, um, it, it kind of instilled like this fear in me of it taking over my life and not being able to not be dependent on it. If Yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. Um, I also wasn't very interested in it when I was, for example, like in high school, I know there is this expectation that you've underage, like you've had an underage bender at least once during your high school years. And that just simply wasn't the case for me. I didn't really have any interest in it. 
and then I turned 21, it's almost like I was expected to have some kind of interest in it. And I even then still didn't really have a strong interest, but I did start to drink. Um, I wasn't, I would say, a very frequent drinker, but I still drink enough and would drink on purpose to be drunk. Like, I know there are some people that will drink for the taste of different alcohols, whether it be wine or liquor or beer or cider or what have you. Um, but that was never me. I was always grab the cheapest thing and drink because I wanted to be drunk. And I think right off the bat, that was pr a pretty, um, like, not healthy relationship with the substance. So I... I don't really drink that much anymore. Um, I think maybe socially from time to time I will with a friend and it's usually like one or two drinks and that's it. But I don't always want those drinks, right? I sometimes just want to hang out with a friend and it not be centered around drinking because I feel like that's a lot of interactions that you have in your 20s, especially after you turn 21. A lot of the interactions surround drinking, going out to a bar or a club and like that is the way you hang out with people. And it's just never really been interesting to me. I would rather stay at someone's house and like we play games like video games or board games or watch a movie or do art or just sit and chat or make a meal together or something like that or do something outdoors, um, weather permitted because I'm not off topic. I'm not like a hot weather person. So in the summer, I don't go outside very much. But anyway, that was a little bit of a sidetrack. Uh, yeah, that, that's kind of, it's really short and sweet, my experience with alcohol, like from a personal standpoint. Um, but I find it very interesting how normalized in society it is to just like go out and drink after work and then you get up and you go to work or school and then you go out and drink again. And it, there's just buckets and buckets of money poured into it. And I saw this more, I think, prevalently, prevalently, that's the word, um, when I had a very short stint as a bartender, a very interesting job for me, because since I didn't have a lot of knowledge of different liquors or wines or anything, it was really hard for me to suggest things to people because I didn't even know what to, like, what to suggest. I, I didn't know what I was really doing, and I didn't know how to be like, yeah, I, you know, I don't really like to drink, but I hear this drink is good. Like, yeah, it's, it's not really selling the liquor, I guess, selling the alcohol. Um, and I also, I just don't like beer. I just don't like it. I've never liked it. I have tried it so many different ways, so many different times. I tell people that and they are bound to determine to like convince me of a beer that I would like. And I'm like, Bessie, I'm not, I'm not going to like the beer. And that's okay. Beer's just not for me. I just don't want the fermented grass. It's okay. I know it's not always just like wheat that's made in beer or hops, but I just, mm, not for me. It's not, it's not that great. I think most days if I do decide to engage in alcohol, um, it's usually a hard cider 
for me. That's, that's about it. Um, I used to drink a lot of wine for some reason, not necessarily liquor, but definitely wine. Um, because it was easy. It was like a different kind of intoxication than a liquor for some reason. I don't know what the science behind that would be or if it's just like my own experience. I don't know if anybody else has experienced it, um, but it was like a different feeling. Uh, alcohol is kind of scary too to me because it can be the center of a lot of abuse, both like domestically or randomly or um, like child abuse. It it can be a, a center of that, and I have definitely experienced that in my life, and that's another reason why I don't like to engage in it either that often. Um, and I think, honestly, I'm to the point where I don't really want to engage in it much at all anymore. Uh, it's just not ever worth it. Hangovers are awful. You have to recover from them because you are literally putting poison into your body. Um, but like it, alcohol isn't going to go away. I do recognize that it, every substance isn't going to go away and regulating substances is a thing that feels very tricky because people will get whatever they want in whatever way they can. Um, like when alcohol was banned in the U S for that short period of time in, I think it was the 1920s. And then, you know, people were still, they were still getting drinks, right? It, like it didn't stop them. They were still getting alcohol in some kind of way, um, but it was illegal. So regulating it is a very tricky thing. And like, I feel like people should be taught more so how to be responsible with the substances that they do consume and um, harm reduction is a thing where you, that's basically what you do. You teach people how to be safe with these substances as safe as possible to minimize any kind of harm legally, illegally, physically, mentally, you know, that may come with those. And uh, I do think harm reduction is a good thing and that it should definitely be implemented more so than it is. It's getting there, but it's slow. Um, I've just noticed a lot of conversations on the internet surrounding alcohol. There's been a lot of recipes that have popped up on my um, social media feeds regarding mocktails because people want to, you know, they want to go out with their friends and they want to have a little fun drink in their hand, but they don't want the effects of the alcohol. So that's kind of where this sparked the idea to have an episode kind of digging into that. Um, speaking on the subject of alcohol and the, its centering around abuse, I do want to take a moment to mention that I have a personal like, person in my life. Um, I'm not super close to them. They're, they're a coworker at a place that I work. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this way into the future, it may not be relevant, but right now at the time of this publishing, it is very relevant. And they were attacked by someone who was drunk and like severely injured. 
and have now a lot, like thousands of dollars in medical bills that they're going to be struggling paying because the U.S. healthcare system, as many, many people know, um, really just sucks a lot. It sucks big time and it's often unsustainable and it can be ridiculously expensive. So I'm going to put the, the link to help in the description below but like in the podcast notes I say description below as if it's a YouTube video but anyway I'm gonna put the link um in the podcast for you guys to go and read and if you can donate anything that would be awesome if not please share it with people you know the uh, Max is the person's name and he is such a sweet human uh I really enjoy when I get to come to work and he's there. And so I want to spread this as much as possible because he deserves so much more and um, his he and his family deserve not to struggle as with anybody with severe medical costs. So um, yeah, I'm gonna put the link below. Please donate or share if you can, that would be amazing. So, um, Moving on to a different substance now, I kind of want to get into nicotine because that one has also been around for a really long time just in the world, but also in my life. Um, I grew up with grandparents that smoked heavily, and so I've kind of always been around nicotine. Um, I would say they're the ones I was around the most that smoked, but there were definitely other people that, like other adults in my life as a child that smoked. Um, I have a really weird, kind of com complex, complicated relationship with nicotine. Um, to be quite honest, I was really, really dumb and really kind of silly and decided at 18 when it was still the U.S. age of 18 to be able to buy nicotine products. Um, I was really dumb and decided at 18 to buy a cigarette to try. Very silly of me. I know, I know. Um, but I did, I made a whole plan. Like I went out of my way to do this. So I went and got one and I tried it and that ended up leading me to mildly smoking cigarettes for about two to three years after that. Um, during those two to three years, like looking back, this also was a time when I was, um, like after I smoked for those two to three years, then I ended up turning 21 and could buy alcohol. And I would say looking back to those years when I was smoking and then was able to drink and the correlation between that and my mental health, like I definitely was not in a good place mentally and that definitely led to trying to find something to I guess lean on in order to cope that's that's actually what I'm looking for that's the word cope I ended up using those to cope with what was going on in my life um and with what was going on with my mental health um it's I will say it's in a much better place now but I definitely still struggle with uh nicotine I don't smoke cigarettes anymore I stopped doing that after those two to three years, like I talked about, but then in 2015, which is about the end of that, um, I found vaping through a friend. They had a vape and I ended up, you know, taking a few hits off of it and decided I really liked it and then 
I went and got my own and it started with something that I would only engage with when I was driving around because I didn't bring it into the house because nobody else in my immediate family smoked and I just didn't feel comfortable doing it in the house or even outside. I would only do it in the car. Um, and then that ended up, you know, stopping after a while. I would actually use it wherever I was because I wanted that hit of nicotine and, I ended up quitting nicotine in 2019 and then I picked it up again last fall. So it's been almost a year ago that I started again and it's been pretty on and off. There's like a few months where I'll be, there was like a few months where I was like really doing it every single day and then um, a few months where I totally just didn't touch it at all. And now since then I would say since about end of March, beginning of April, it's been like touch and go. Sometimes I have it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I crave it, sometimes I don't. Honestly, nicotine is wildly and stupidly addictive. It's kind of ridiculous how addictive it is. Um, so if anybody out there that's listening to this struggles with a nicotine addiction, I feel you, I understand um, if I could go back and undecide to buy that cigarette at 18, I definitely would. I definitely would, uh, because that was a really dumb decision. I should have just left it. I should just let it be. Um, it was just, it wasn't a good decision. So I am trying to completely quit again because I do feel better without it, but I'm also trying to hold grace for, the ebbs and flows of life and realize that sometimes things happen and I, I don't need to beat myself up for any time that I do end up using it because it's not necessarily going to, you know, like set me back to square one. It's just a minor setback and you learn, you grow, you move on, right? So I'm trying, I'm trying, but it's definitely hard. Um, the one that I have probably the least experience with would definitely be THC products. Um, I say THC products because it's not just like the physical cannabis plant that you can get THC from. Like it all comes from that plant, but like you can get cartridges and edibles and like all kinds of things. Um, I, I can't even name all the things because I, again, I'm not very experienced. Um, I didn't even experience THC for the first time until I was 23 in like 2018. I think that was, uh, yeah, I, I just, I didn't do it in high school. Nobody offered it to me. Um, I not even sure I knew it really existed or really what it was. So I never engaged with it. And then I, uh, my partner's friend had some and I felt like I was in a safe place, safe place to be able to engage with that and try it and see what the hype is all about. Because if I'm being honest, I feel like it's very romanticized, especially years later. Now I can see how it's like very romanticized. Like, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute, in a minute. But, uh, I tried it. I thought it was really interesting. I remember freaking out. Um, that's another thing is like, uh, in terms of the freaking out, when you consume alcohol, your body, it's like you, your body is not real. It almost feels like, like you have a body and you don't remember doing things with this body, but with THC, you have a body and 
you remember doing everything. Um, maybe that's not the, the same case for everyone who consumes it. Um, even though I get really sleepy when I use THC, I still am very aware of things going on and I'm very aware of my body. And so sometimes that's a little overwhelming and I don't like to engage in that and it can make me very panicky. Um, but it was kind of very infrequent, like a very, very infrequent use for years after I tried it for the first time. Um, like a once a year thing maybe where we would go and visit that friend. Uh, but then it became way more frequent in the last couple of years. Uh, I use it a lot to sleep. That is like the primary use that I use it for, but I'm trying to step away from becoming dependent on it for sleep and try other methods when I need that sleep and need to go to sleep. So I don't know what else to say about like my personal experience because it's very limited, but I will touch on the whole romanticization thing. I Listen, I know this is kind of like my mentality around it. Like I know that it's a plant and it's derived from a plant, like every single product that comes from it. But I think it's important that we be honest and still recognize that it is a substance. And while it may not be quote unquote addictive, you can become very dependent on it. Your body can. And I think it's really important to recognize that because for some people it can become very debilitating and um, unhelpful for them. And for other people it can be really helpful and they can function just fine. And that brings me back to the point that I made at the beginning of this podcast, you know, saying that it's very nuanced and very individualized. It's really all up to the person. So I just really, I say all that just to be like, please be safe because sometimes substances scare me, um, in any form because except for maybe nicotine because it does, like nicotine worries me for other health reasons, but not for mind altering reasons, but every other substance that like alters your mind and your state of mind, I, I really worry about, um, I kind of go back and forth with how I feel about the control over my own body and mind. Um, sometimes it's really freeing. Other times it's really scary to feel like I don't have control over my own like limbs and breathing and things like that. So yeah, I just really want everybody to be safe. That is mainly what I'm trying to say because it does scare me a little bit. Nicotine scares me in the way of like the health scares that come with it. Like, um, the vaping is still new. Like we don't, we definitely don't know long-term effects of it because it's, it's studied, but not in the way it probably should be studied. Like it's coming out, things are coming out about it, but if we don't know the full long-term effects of it, um, we don't, like, like we don't know the effects. Sorry, I'm trying to organize my thoughts. We don't know the long-term effects of vaping like we do cigarettes because cigarettes have been around for decades, right? So, you know, I worry about that. Um, I think, I think that's all I really had to say about 
specifically these substances. Um, let me pull up. I came unprepared, apparently. Let me pull up the forms so we can go through some of the responses, which will also create more conversation because some of these responses were really, really cool, and I'm excited to read them to you. So Google Forms allows you to have, like, percentages of the responses that you have and give you, like, little statistics. So the substance that people of the anonymous survey uh, partake in the most is going to be THC. 36.8% um, of the participants uh, are participate in THC. The other is a combination of the substances that I listed, which were alcohol, nicotine, THC, um, psychedelics, and then a combination, and then I put other for all the other drugs that I personally don't have any experience with or know very much about. Um, only 15.8 only struggled with, or not struggled, I don't know why I keep using that word, partake in um, nicotine only. And a large majority partake in these substances daily, like over half. Over half have never tried quitting. Let's see. The people that did try quitting, if it was any level of success for them, um, most said yes. Some said not really. There was a couple that said not, uh, that said kinda. Um... I asked if they grew up in a household with heavy usage or substance abuse. Um, not as many as I thought would say yes. Uh, only 31.6% said yes. The majority said no, not at all, or to my knowledge, which I thought was very interesting because that means that if there, if there was any kind of substance abuse in the household, uh, it, it was not known. It was very much kept a secret, which I can relate to. I grew up partially like for, for a few years of life where there was an adult in the house that definitely partook in alcohol and it was a secret and it became a source of abuse. Um, and so I think that's very interesting that some people said, or most people said, uh, not at all, or to my knowledge. Some people said, no, but it was sometimes there, which means that maybe they noticed adults in their life uh, partaking in substances, like, occasionally, like, oh, you know, this parent's having a beer, or maybe this cousin is having a cigarette behind the house, you know, like, things like that. Um, because I know, you know, it was, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but lastly, do you struggle with mental illness and or neurodivergency? A large majority, like over 80% of the responses said yes, and I think that's a very important, interesting t statistic, um, and also not surprising. However, I am surprised it's not 100%. I do think that is interesting, but I'm not surprised that um, almost all said yes, because, you know, like I said earlier, I look back on my own experience, and it is largely due to, like, where I was mentally that 
I can see how I use the substance. Like my mental health and my substance use correlate. Sometimes I use it less when I'm feeling good. Sometimes I use it more when I'm feeling down. It becomes a coping mechanism. And I guess what I'm trying to say is essentially, like earlier, what I was trying to say is I'm trying to replace with better coping mechanisms. I'm trying to replace them. It's very hard because you end up do you do end up struggling with some level of addiction to them, I would say. Um and you know, some people may disagree, but I really do think like even with alcohol, like you can have a drink every single night and then suddenly not have a drink and your body will crave it or sometimes that drink will become two or that drink will become or those two drinks will become three or four, and then so on and so forth. And so I think on some level, you do end up struggling with addiction, for sure. Um, I did leave a space at the end of those responses to share any questions or stories or comments, and that is where it gets really interesting. Um, One that I thought was interesting... They said, I quit smoking for two and a half years during COVID, but always missed it. I've loved the smell of cigarettes for as long as I can remember. My parents didn't smoke, but their parents did, which that makes sense. A lot of grandparents are around that age where like smoking was more widely accepted in kind of the trend and the data on nicotine and health and cigarettes did not quite exist yet. Um... I started smoking right again. I started smoking again right before I got fired from a job. I plan on quitting again at some point, but I'm not ready yet. Nicotine gum and other types of nicotine products make me physically ill. What helped me quit the first time was Juicy Fruit and Vaping Zero Nick. I've got a rig ready to go. Just need to get to that point of being ready again. And I relate to a little bit of that. Um, I definitely vaped Zero Nick for a little while in hopes that I could quit. Some part of me thinks it's like the sensation of vaping that I enjoy more so than the nicotine itself. I could just be like, you know, placeboing myself. I'm not sure. But, you know, I, I... I, I did do the Zero Nick, and I enjoyed it. Um, I like the whole, you know, just need to get to that point of being ready again. I think that's very interesting. This is kind of off topic of substances and sobriety completely. Um, but a being ready, like, you're never going to be ready for something. You just got to go for it because you don't want to let that fear decide your fate. And that's something I'm working on myself as well. And it can be really hard. So I hope that this person, whoever they were, gets the courage to just go for it and um, dis- like decide to be ready even if they're still scared. Um, all of these responses, especially the ones that are more heavy, I'm just sending so much love to these people um, and hope that they can find what they need and are at peace with what like what their relationship with substances are because it can be a real struggle if you're not at peace with that but you're still using substances that's kind of where I'm at for example with nicotine 
Um, so just sending love to those people. So let's look and see what another response is. Um, it, this one is regards to THC. It has helped so much with my daily physical pain. I was worried. I relied on weed too much, so I stopped for a while. I felt no real change happened, positive or negative, except my pain had zero distraction, which sucked. I'm blessed to live in a state with recreational and medicinal weed. I also only smoke at night or when no plans occur on the weekend. I could never smoke and work. And see, that's another example of it being very nuanced and individualized because for this person, you know, if there wasn't really any change that happened when they stopped, uh, cause they experimented with that. Uh, but their pain had no distraction. It didn't go away. I'm assuming this person probably has chronic pain. Um, a large portion of people I know in my own life use it for their chronic pain. So that's kind of what I'm assuming. Um, I like that they said I could never smoke and work. I think, you know, some people, when they're so in their addiction, um, they do that anyway. But for me, personally, in my own mentality of it, I treat it like, THC specifically, I treat it like alcohol in terms of, like, I don't smoke and drive. I don't use it when I have to go do something, um... It's something that I do in the comfort of my own home when I want to. I don't really like to do any kind of substances um, out and about. Again, I think the only exception would be nicotine because it's not necessarily mind-altering. It's just like this little high that you get and then it's like a little buzz. It's not even a high. It's like a little buzz and it's very, very temporary. It goes away quite quite quickly, um, but it's not like mind-altering. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, I might say that I think a lot of things are interesting. And it's just because it's true. It is. Um, let's see here. Uh, here's one that I liked. I mean, I liked all of them. But this one I liked. To, I would like to share. It's crazy to grow up in such an anti-drug slash alcohol house and decide I want to try those things when I'm an adult. No friends with experience and family members don't want to talk about it. I went in blind, but I think being an adult, I did have a good head on my shoulders for what was okay to try slash not okay to try. It worked out. And I sometimes, I guess it slips in my mind when I think about this subject that there are households out there and people that grow up in households that are very, like, very anti-drug and alcohol. They don't talk about it. They shame and shun people who use it in such a, like, negative way. And that's where, like, the stigma comes from. And it ends up being the butt of a lot of jokes for things. Um, I, I'll get into this in a second, but I just, it just popped up in my head that uh, caffeine is kind of a drug, I would say. It's, it's kind of a substance. Um, and people don't think about that, I don't think. Anyway, back to this comment. Uh, I didn't grow up necessarily. Obviously, I didn't grow up in an anti-alcohol um, house, but definitely um, any kind of 
other substance was not really talked about. The only ones that were like talked about and used right in front of me were alcohol and nicotine and nothing else was discussed. And I think that's why I didn't really know much about weed growing up. It just wasn't, it wasn't there. I didn't really see it in the things that I consumed as a child or a teen, you know, and some people just are very oblivious to it, just like me. I'm not alone in that. And so it was, it was, um, affirming to read that. Um, this one, we'll read one more. Let's see. Actually, we'll read two more. This one I'm going to share because it's in reference to my other option, which does not include the alcohol, THC, or nicotine. Uh, all right. It goes as this. My other is pain and anti-anxiety medication. I'm lucky to not consider myself addicted, but I consider myself an addict because I daydream of ways to get the pain meds legally. I don't share this with many people. I also have a low-dose prescription for Xanax. I find myself rationing it, quote-unquote, so that it rationing it so that when I need to feel numb, I have extra to take. My sister is a meth addict. My father was an alcoholic and meth addict. Addiction runs in my family, and I've been lucky to have quote-unquote control over mine at this time. Um, I found this one, as you probably guessed it, interesting for a number of reasons. One, it went into the other category, and I think pain meds and prescription pills like that are not talked about as much, even though there very much is a large number of people that become addicted to that. Um, while I have not struggled with an addiction, I have ended up using them before, but it was, it truly was medical purposes. I've had a surgery in my life, you know, I've broken a couple of bones and I definitely use those. And, um, I did not like the way I felt on them. I was grateful that my pain was not noticeable and like it took that away for me, but I definitely did not like how I felt on them and I felt very panicky, um, on them as well. Uh, the addiction runs in my family part. I do think that it's interesting that genetically addiction can run in families and, I also think it can be somewhat of a generational thing outside of genetics where you see family members who use it so you end up using it or you see family members or not see but you have family members that struggle with a mental illness or struggle with their mental health in some capacity and then you may also end up struggling with that as well due to genetics therefore you maybe have like a higher percentage of using some kind of substance in your life. I think that's a really interesting thing. Um, I don't know if there's like a word for it. For some reason, the word epi epigenics came to mind, but I don't remember what that refers to. So um, last comment that I'm going to read, and then I'll touch on caffeine for a second because it just kind of came to mind. I didn't have it planned to talk about um, but I do think it's something to talk about. All right. I'm in recovery from alcohol and other drugs, cocaine and heroin, 
slash opioids mostly, but I dabbled in pretty much everything, meth, ketamine, acid, ecstasy, crack pills, etc. Now I just smoke weed maybe once or twice a week with friends. I don't feel like I... I don't feel like I'm addicted to it or have a problem with it like I have with other substances and my therapist and medical team agree. I have my medical card for a while but let the renewal lapse due to cost. There's a lot of different points in here I want to touch. First, I want to say um, like kudos and like a big, big hug to this person for overcoming an extreme addiction that they... Uh, noticed in their life and they got help for that can be really really hard and really difficult to go through for number of reasons a number of reasons so I just want to you know give a hug and share some love with this person that they have done that that's really awesome and I'm proud of them for being able to recognize something that was harming them and then overcome it um the medical card thing with the renewal lapse due to cost, I think that's another thing is that even though um, in some states uh, cannabis is legal medically, it can still be really expensive to acquire and almost it's almost basically just another medical bill that you have. And I think that that can be a large reason and know that that's a large reason why people still don't like get their medical cards because then they have to pay for that and then they have to pay for like the really um it's good quality don't get me wrong but like really expensive dispensary things because while it may be really good quality it has turned into its own like form of um consumerism and capitalism right all right i think we'll ended there with the comments there were some that I didn't read because they were just short and sweet and like personal um but now I want to touch on caffeine for a moment I think that caffeine I'm not sure if it's considered a drug or not or a substance, I think it is considered a drug because it does stimulate your brain and nervous system, right? So it is technically a drug. And I would say it's like one of the most normalized, like even more than alcohol and nicotine and weed and everything it is like one of the most normalized drugs in the entire world. Everywhere you go, you can find some way to have a cup of coffee in some capacity, right? And some people will get like cups and cups of coffee. And I'm like, right now I'm not trying to shame anyone because I, I, I started to feel like it came off that way. And so I wanted to clarify that that was not the case um, because I definitely have had my fair share of drinking lots and lots of coffee. In fact, I had, I had a latte today, right? Um, for me, I don't drink the coffee for the caffeine though. Like, truly, I don't. I really do enjoy the taste of coffee because, like, I'll have coffee-flavored ice creams and coffee-flavored um, baked goods and things like that. I really just enjoy the way coffee tastes. I don't always enjoy the effects of caffeine. Um, it's kind of hit or miss. Sometimes it makes me really incredibly sleepy. Sometimes it, it doesn't 
affect me. It doesn't seem to affect me at all. And other times it um, definitely does make me feel more awake, like a pseudo awake um, with that crash that happens later. Um, so I don't always enjoy having a coffee because I don't always want the caffeine. And sometimes decaf really just doesn't taste good because you know, it's decaf that they did extra processing on it in order to get most of the caffeine out of the coffee bean. So it doesn't taste that great. Uh, but I think it's very interesting that it's like one of the most normalized drugs. And, you know, they say the addiction is low to caffeine, but it just, in U.S. culture specifically, I can't speak for anywhere else in the world because I, um, side note, have not been able to travel outside the U.S., which is really sad and would like to do that someday. But I know in the U.S., uh, the culture around caffeine and coffee is like really strong. You see coffee things all the time. I literally, like you walk into any like major retail place and you're bound to find something that says I'm not myself until I have had coffee in the morning or something like that. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever walked into a Target, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I think that's really all I have for you guys today. Um, if you have any comments or anything, I'm going to open up a Q&A down in below, uh, I should preface it's specifically for Spotify. So if you're listening on Spotify, um, there will be a Q and a thing that you can leave comments, um, ask questions, but it's, ma I'm mainly using it as a way for you to leave comments. If you want to say something, um, I'm going to leave again, the GoFundMe link for Max down below to either to help him out or to share it with your network of people in your life. Um, I'd really like to help him out as much as possible so he can get back to his warm, like loving, wonderful self, right? Um, also, if you were listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I'd love it if you could leave me a review, um, leave me a five-star review. That would be awesome. Uh, helps me out and gets my podcast boosted in charts and yeah I think I think that's all I think that's that's all folks so stay weird stay hydrated and remember that you're only human and I will talk to you in the next episode